This is Courage Cast. Faith, inspiration, and motivation for today. Well, hey everyone, this is Eric, and you're listening to another episode of Courage Cast. I am so excited about this session, and maybe I'll edit this out into a few sessions, but um, I'm on the phone with Adrian Kaler, uh, a transformational coach, a leadership coach. Adrian, welcome to the Courage Cast. Thanks, Eric. Great to be with you. Yeah, you are somebody we've we got connected through uh, Julia Woods, who uh, was my transformational coach last year and and made a tremendous difference for me. And uh, she recommended I continue working with you. Now, we haven't gotten a chance to work together officially yet, but we've had some great talks. Not yet, man. I'm going to wear you down. <laughs> you are. You're, 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 you're good at that. And, and, and that's all right. Just like a good bit dose of water or wind. Uh, <laughs> That's what you are. That's great. I always, t- I always tell people, please, uh, you know, my persistence can move to annoyance quickly. Just let me know when that happens and I'll go away. Otherwise, I'm coming back after you. <laughs> uh, I, and I know I know that about you. And, and that's what I what I really appreciate about you just in the short time that we've gotten to know each other. Well, Adrian, yeah. I, we've been talking a while and, and you and I uh, were talking about ways that you, that we can get involved um, more with what you're doing and you're doing some amazing stuff. And so I want you to kind of share uh, a little bit about your your journey and how you got into coaching and why you're passionate about it. Yeah, uh, thanks for asking. It's it's fun to think about this question. I remember when I first got into coaching, and I really would avoid my resume um, for lots of reasons, and I just wouldn't talk about it. I'd never, you know, maybe everybody's like this. When you start something new, new you don't want to like be seen as the new guy because, mm-hmm. you know, you want to have this allure of expertise. Yeah. Anyway, that was definitely true for me. Reality is I've had like four careers in my life. I mean, I, I was one that got, that was in undergrad and like the question of like, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I had no idea. Mm. Uh, Cause most of the time people meant like, what do you want to do when you grow up? Yeah. And I, di- I didn't have an answer for that. I mean, for me, uh, in my early twenties, you know, I, I had just, uh, had a pretty significant like spiritual transformation process. And so I knew that like, helping to be, uh, like helping other people, helping the world heal was a big part of like what mattered to me at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, But but I didn't have a career path for that. I just knew what I cared about. So I was, I started out actually in nursing. Uh, I got an undergraduate nursing degree knowing that wasn't going to be my career, but I loved, I mean, the science part was easy for me. And then I loved being with people in the midst of crisis, which you are at the bedside, uh, with, with, you know, I worked with kids. So like with sitting with families when their life was upside down, cause their kid just got diagnosed with a chronic disease that they might not make it out of mm. and being with the family in that time was really something that was satisfying for me. I mean, the science part and like all the, you know, the medication and all the, all the assessments and that kind of stuff, that part was easy, but the real juice for me was being with families and being in conversation that could help people find themselves in the new reality they were in. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where I began. And then I moved, I was living in Chicago, working at a children's hospital there. And then I caught wind of a community out in Los Angeles, a spiritual community called Mosaic that I just couldn't believe existed because I didn't, I didn't fit in t- inside like the regular religious view of how, like I was, I it was socialized as a Christian. Mm-hmm. And so 
uh, I didn't like fit in like a quote unquote normal church. I was, you know, uh, anti-establishment by nature, uh, anti-authoritarian, very entrepreneurial, more creative, uh, like the loud and like the loud one in the room. Like, what are we talking about? What are we really doing? I questioning, don't questioning it, questioning, and, yeah, not yeah, just going with the flow. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Questioning everything, which, you know. Uh, some environments, uh, are, you know, are welcoming to those kind of rebellious spirits and then many are not. So anyway, yeah. I found this community that was very welcoming to kind of renegades like myself. Um, and so I moved out to Los Angeles and joined that community and I was like a social justice fanatic at that time. So now it wasn't cr- a cult, was it? It was not a cult. Well, if you if you Google it, you know there'll be some people that say that it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, no, it was uh, it was not a cult if via regular uh, <laughs> definitions. Um, Just checking. Just checking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. It wasn't the Moonies or anything like that. Okay. Um, so anyway, so I was a social justice guy at the time. So I cared about, really cared a lot about people on the margins, people that were left out, people that you know weren't given a shot, and uh, via society and how things were set up against some folks. And that was really my early twenties. I was really passionate, one of those uh, passionate uh, outsiders that thought everybody should believe like an outsider. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, and, and actually, once I got in the work of of changing things, you realize you have a lot of uh, epiphanies where you realize that, you know, uh, you know, throwing grenades all the time doesn't help either. Right. And judging other people for what they don't believe doesn't help either. You got to actually be a part of the solution. You got to change things from the inside. So I got to, you know, mobilize a couple thousand people a year into this, into the streets and, uh, and, you know, expose people to need and then let them make their own decision yeah. about how they should be giving their time and money. And through that process, I helped a guy on his spiritual journey, um, that, uh, it was, uh, very wealthy. Um, and through his, through his transformation, uh, he wanted to do something with all that wealth. And so he said, Adrian, can you leave Mosaic and help me start a private foundation? Mm-hmm. Uh, which I didn't even, I had to Google that once he said that, um, cause I didn't know what that meant, but what it meant was, can you start an organization that helps give grants and help other nonprofits exist and thrive? So I took this guy his name was Jesse around the world to help to help expose him to the needs that I'd been connected with and cared about and the relationships um, and the leaders that I'd been partnered with as I'd been doing a lot of traveling uh, with my church work. And uh, we ended up doing work inside the prison system. Mm-hmm. Uh, after, after traveling the world, we ended up um, really caring about giving people a second chance that have really blown it. So mm-hmm. that organization was called the Cornerstone Project. And I was way over my head, but I was figuring it out as I was going. And long story short, we ended up doing transformational workshops inside the prison system, most, mostly working with lifers, guys mm-hmm. that had really, you know, done the bad stuff, the murderers, the rapists, the, the armed robbers, those types of guys, or in, or in California, just the third strikers, the guy that had been, you know, arrested for three times for having dope on him. Mm-hmm. Um, but either way, I, I met a guy named Dan, and uh, Dan had been coaching executives for about 30 years, and then had been, for about 15 years, been doing gang reduction and intervention work mostly on the East Coast, but that was really his passion. So this when is I met Daniel Tokini. Dan Tokini, you got it right. Yeah. yeah. So I met this guy, Dan, and I thought this guy has a has a culture inside of him or like an ethos or like, a, I don't know, a conversation, lots of ways to say it, of ways to intervene and in how people are thinking to help them turn their lives around. And it doesn't take very long at all. Uh-huh. And, and I he thought, was doing what with uh, with prisoners and things? What was he doing? 
Well, he had been working with a group called Straight Ahead Ministries out of Boston. A guy named Scott Larson had started that organization. He'd been doing these workshops inside the juvenile justice system uh, over there for like 15 years. So picture there's there's 30 people in the room, all in like orange jumpsuits, um, f- four members from four different gangs in the same room, literally people stashing razor blades just because we usually when those four groups come together, it's on. Yeah. Um, and you know, with police dogs at the door, cause all the guards were, were assured or, you know, we're, we're convinced that, uh, when you put all these four people together, there's going to be a fight and it's going to be bad and people might die. Well, we put them in the room with Dan Tacchini and four days later, they little, literally, this is a true story. They wanted to desegregate the, 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 the juvenile uh, detention center they were in. Cause they, wow. you know, they, they put the gangs on different floors for good reason. But after these four days, they thought, we don't need to fight anymore. We've mm. got more in common than we thought. We don't need to be enemies. If we banded together, we can help our brothers on the outside. And so that type of like complete vision turnaround and, and, um, and love, instead of hatred, have love. And, and it was long-lasting? It was long-lasting. Oh, yeah. And they, they changed recidivism rates in that, in that area. I mean, some, some, I mean statistics are typically, typically made up, so let me make up some. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was it was it was about seventy percent change from people. And typically, if you know recidivism rate, that's the word. If you're not in that world, that that recidivism rate means the chances of if you once you get out of prison, that you'll be back. Um, so seventy percent would be able to stay and never come back, stay in the well, real in the world real world, right? The typical recidivism rate is about eighty-two percent. Mm-hmm. At least that's what it was when I was doing the work. Meaning yeah. eighty-two out of a hundred guys, if they get out, they'll come back. Oh, that's uh, what it typically was. Got it. Okay. Typically was. Uh, with Straight Ahead Ministries, it was in the low teens. So if you've wow. been through their programs, only 13 or so of guys that get out will come back. Got it. Wow, um, that's great. So really, you know, groundbreaking work. I'd never seen, I'd never, I mean, I've been around a lot of leaders, a lot of spiritual leaders. I'd never seen a person uh, able to kind of help transform people, help them do the transformation they wanted to do for themselves. They just didn't know how mm-hmm. uh, as Dan Takini. So I mean, I had hired him to come do this work, but he was really my mentor. Yeah. And I, and so I was with him in the training rooms for ye- for a couple of years straight. And I started getting a coach and I thought I want to be around this guy as much as I can and around his organization, which is called ACCD association for Christian character development. Um, Julia, our mutual friend, she went through all their trainings, um, as well. That's how I got to know her. Um, and, uh, started getting coached for the first time mm-hmm. and by Dan's wife, Eileen, and she was phenomenal, very helpful. Um, went through a coach's Academy while I was working at the Cornerstone project and just loved it. And then, and then I got to a point where I'd set up Cornerstone project. It was set. The guy that gave the money, Jesse had started getting really involved. It was time for me to step out and let him really do. I mean, the ultimate vision had been had been completed, which was the organization had gotten established. Now, Jesse, the guy that didn't know what he wanted to do now did know what he wanted to do and wanted to do it himself, which Mm -hmm, is great. mm -hmm. So I stepped out and then I was at a crossroads. What I want to do now, I could, you know, work in the philanthropy world. I could go work as a pastor. Of course, I go back and work in the healthcare world. Um, But really what helps what I come most alive is having really robust, powerful, life changing conversations, which Mm -hmm. for some people, that's like crazy. Like they don't like that at all. Too much pressure, too deep, too much tension. But for me, I'm just crazy enough. That's really what I love. I love the silence between uh, whenever we're up against ourselves and then we have this thought and we entertain it for a second that maybe things can change. Maybe I can change. 
Yeah. And if I can, if I can be with somebody in that moment, man, there's like no bigger honor mm. for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so I jumped in and started, started my own coaching practice. That was, I don't know, six or seven years ago. Um, something around that timeline. I'm not that good with chronology. Um, and, uh, it just, it worked. I didn't know if it would work. I just started telling people I'm a coach now mm-hmm. and, uh, but it, it worked pretty quickly. I got, yeah. I got a lot of clients right away and it's been developing, you know, over those few years and I really love it. Okay. So that's kind of, that's a great background. I love it. Uh, so you're now working with, uh, with different people and, and you sent me a great email and I'm going to literally, um, pull from these, these comments yeah. that, you know, to kind of help set me up well for this, for this conversation. Um, sure. you said basically, these are things that I think about a lot and that's it. I loved it because it was just right to the point. Um, and so we're going to talk about every single one of these, um, and the experiences that you've had. So, um, one of the things that I want to, that I'm curious about our courageous community is very much about moving forward, stepping ahead, um, allowing God to, first of all, dream big dreams in our lives and receiving kind of downloads from God and, and basically saying, okay, God, now you've given me this big vision. I'm scared to death. I don't know what, how to do, how this is going to happen, but I'm going to need to rely on you and your strength in order to make it happen. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of summary in a nutshell of what the courageous community is all about, at least what I think it is all about. That's great. Um, and one of the things that you have to deal with a lot when you're dealing with leaders and leadership training is what motivates people and what, why, what are they motivated about? What gets them moving? So what, what do you, you think about this a lot? What does that mean for you? And and how do you help people tap into what motivates them? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's fun. I'm glad I put that down because I mean, it's it, reality is I think it's a very complex answer. Mm-hmm. Um, what motivates people? And if you looked, if you were, you know, if there was a, a stenographer that was writing down all of my thoughts, I th- every, it's like throughout the day, what's motivating me moment by moment, it would seem like gibberish, I think. Yeah, I think I think reality is like, if left to ourselves, we are all over the place. I'll just say it for me. If left to myself, my mind is all over the place. Mm hmm. Um, and there's lots of, lots of good reasons about that. I mean, we could have, you know, an hour, few hour conversations about the human mind and how it works and what we know about it right now. It's still a major mystery Mm -hmm. and we know a lot about it, but you know, we're still learning. Um, so what motivate, what, I mean, what motivates people? I mean, a couple main things come to mind, uh, for me, and this would be like a major, just what I call distinctions and, Mm -hmm. uh, in my work, right. There's a, which is like a, this, it's this or that, right. Um, and if we think in this way, these things can happen. If we're thinking this way, other things can happen. So, I mean, categorically, I mean, the human mind itself and or the brain itself, uh, I think naturally uh, gets motivated by the past. Mm-hmm. Naturally gets motivated by the past. And sometimes that's that is we're aware of that. We're conscious of it. Most of the time we're unconscious of it. Mm-hmm. And, and partially that's just because of the human brain function mm-hmm. is that's the way our brain works. Our brain I typically say in my work, your brain is not your friend. And what I mean when I say that is um, your brain is just doing what it's crafted to do. It is a computing system. Mm -hmm. And so when your brain wants to make sense of the world around you, it does what a computer does. It references what it knows, Mm -hmm. which is, i.e., the past, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, we can typically like – 
in a moment, our brain is trying to make sense of it. So it does all of its scans for what we think is true about, I'm talking to a guy named Eric, huh? Mm-hmm. And even in my back of my mind, a few Eric's come to mind. Mm-hmm. And who, know, who knows if that's going to affect the way I think about you? But oh, I know some Eric's. I know what they're like. Or I'm talking to a guy. I'm talking to a guy from Nashville. You live in Nashville right now, right? right. Yeah. What, what do I think about people from Nashville? Huh. Interesting. Yes. I mean, what, what am I, what do I think I like about them? Any judgments I have about them? It's interesting. Like these, this could be a lot of the tape that's going through my mind or it's like, um, or even as I'm listening to you, it's like people that, you know, dream big dreams and like downloads from God. I'm like, okay, I've been around religious people that have talked like that before. I wonder what that means for them. Right. I know, I've, you know, I've known people that have said things like that and, and from their behavior didn't mean it. I've also known people that said things like that and had this crazy, amazing connection to God. And they were, you know, willing to sacrifice for others and willing to really take audacious risks, uh, for the sake of humanity and, you know, it's like, so all that to say is like, we've got a lot of preloaded history in our minds. So lots of times we are motivated by that. And my experience is when I look at my past, I'm typically not a good storyteller to myself. Mm-hmm. And here's what I mean by that is when I'm focused on my history, I've got plenty of warts. I've got plenty of mistakes. I've got plenty of pain. I've got plenty of, you know, disappointments and self-betrayal and betraying other people and how I've, you know, so when I'm in my head, uh, that's insecure all the time, mm-hmm. like even, you know, I'm getting ready to go on this podcast and I'm thinking, you know, if I'm listening to my, my brain, my brain is like, I don't think I have anything to say. Mm-hmm. I'm a fraud. Mm-hmm. I'm a mm-hmm. scam artist. I'm going to be found out. I'm not perfect. Blah, 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 all that. And you know what? If I want that to be true, I've got plenty of evidence to prove it. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I can look to my past. So, so, so I know for me. I've been motivated a lot in my life was I was motivated by being a contradiction, mm. meaning that, I mean, I, 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 uh, when growing up trying to learn how to be a man, right. Mm-hmm. I, what, I didn't know what to do and I love my father deeply, but uh, dearly, but we didn't have sit down conversations really about where he said, okay, Adrian, uh, here's the things, what it means to be a man. Mm. You know, we didn't have those conversations, which is, you know, um, it's fine now. Uh, but so when I was learning how to be a man, I literally studied the men around me and said, okay, I want to be like him, but not like him. I want to, I want to do what he's doing and not do what he's doing. I want to make the impact he's having and not the one he's having. And so seriously, I mean, and most of the time I, I would, I mean, I was really quiet growing up Mm -hmm. and I thought, I thought, uh, it seems like popular people are more talkative. (laughs) So you know, and so I thought, I thought, okay, I need to be a talkative person. So literally I was like trying to be a talkative person. Reality is I'm not that talkative. Mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, I'm, if you do the Myers-Briggs thing, I am more on the extroverted scale, but not around like just talking to hear myself talk necessarily. Right. Um, you might like to I, ask questions and, and well, listen. That, and that's what I found out is like, oh, I can just go ask questions and people talk as people talk all day long. Mm-hmm. People love talking about themselves. Mm-hmm. And so that was my way of like being extroverted is to be the, be the question asker. And I learned that early in my life. Um, and so anyway, so around that, um, a lot of times we, we build or we find motivation by what we don't want to be is mm-hmm. my point. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we live out of fear therefore, mm-hmm. because we, you know, we don't want to be poor. So we better go get a client. We right. don't want we don't want to um, – I don't want to be alone, so I better go get a girlfriend or a wife. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to you know, fill in the blank. And so then we do contrary action, which is fine. 
Um, but then we end up living a life trying not to be something. Right. And I've done this plenty in my life. And mm. at the end of the day, I just live in fear mm. because I'm just trying to make sure I'm not X, Y, or Z. Right. It's a very different conversation. I mean, I, the, the leaders I work with that are the really powerful and the shifts they make is they decide to get really clear on who, who they're committed to being, mm. which is a future-based conversation. Yeah. Because for me to be committed to being something or to doing something has nothing to do with what happened five minutes ago. Mm-hmm. has nothing to do what happened when I was 10. It has nothing to do what happened and where I grew up. I mean, I'm sitting in the hills of Hollywood right now, and I grew up in a town of 8,000 people, a very simple town, very sweet, you know, awesome people, very grateful for it. My parents are both school teachers, uh, you know, very solid middle-class upbringing, um, and I'm sitting in the Hollywood hills right now. Right. Very you know, different from your very past. Different. Very different. And it's not like I've made it, not like I'm rich and famous, blah, blah. That's not the point of my saying this. I'm just saying my past and the history and the trajectory of the culture in which I came from uh, doesn't put me in this space, mm-hmm. doesn't put me here today. Mm-hmm. What puts me here today is choices I've made along the way. Mm-hmm. Some good and some bad, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm here because of what I'm committed to, mm-hmm. not because of where I came from. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what motivates us is really what we choose to let motivate us. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, and that would be a major distinction between um, the, the traditional kind of counseling or therapy or therapy modality and the coaching modality. Yeah. Or what coaching's about. The coaching's about what you're committed to and what is possible next. Right. It's and more about the future versus counseling is the past. Is the past. And right. I go to a counselor. I love counseling. It's mm-hmm. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm going to counseling now kind of out of, out of discipline. It's really good for me to slow down. And I really need to as well. It's good for me to slow down and really do some work on. Is there anything in my past that I've attached myself to that's unhealthy? Right. Right. Because uh, there's plenty that's just kind of in the tape in my head that I continue to persist in continue to let be real and let be true. And I know there are decisions I'm making today because of how I felt when I was 12. Right. Right. And I and I don't want that to be true anymore. And when are we going to let the twelve-year-old go? When are we going to exactly. let the five-year-old go? And 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 really be able to get the, what's the process of getting? You know that that that's the process is getting. And the counseling helps you to sort of to, to put the past aside and take that's right. You know because there are great things about the past that help. That's right. Help you as well and and can be mm-hmm. used to your advantage and to the advantage of. of the world. Uh, but, yeah. but there are a lot of things that, you know, so deciding your counselor will help you decide whether. Yeah. That's... Well, it's especially, I mean, if you've got to like, if it sounds like you've got mostly a Christian crowd, is that a fair yeah. assessment? Yeah. It's not exclusively yeah. Christian, not exclusive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Well then I'll just make a few references. I mean, so every, then m- most people would be familiar with, you know, Paul, right, who's like uh, one of the great entrepreneurs and written in the New Testament and also was one of the first like major church planters and, mm-hmm. you know, went, went across all of that region and, and really established what we call the church today. Um, reality was he had done a lot of bad things yeah. before that, right? He was anti-church. He killed Christians. He was a, he was a bigot and he was a show-off and he was a know-it-all and he was the best of the best of like the religious elite. Mm-hmm. Um and then he had an experience and he could have decided to shame himself and say, I'm not worthy of fill in the blank and used his history as a way to check out and mm. have punished himself the rest of his life. And I thank God he didn't because he set forward 
what the church will now be. Yeah. Because because he said, yeah, I've messed up and I was the worst of all sinners. I was the worst of all mess ups. Therefore, for in his mind, that made him even more qualified to talk about the good news that the past doesn't have to hold us back. The past can catapult us into the future. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that analogy works, but for me, it's like, wow, like Paul decided to believe certain things about his past. Yeah. And his past is static. You don't get to change your past, but you can change your beliefs about your past in an instant. Yes, you can. That's very good. So um, so the follow-up question to that is then, where do people – is that where people get stuck typically? They get stuck because they come up against some sort of boundary that they've superimposed for themselves because of their past, their beliefs? Where, you know, where do people – typically get stuck and why? Yeah, I'll, I'll talk. I mean, I could talk about people, uh, easily. I'll just, I'll, I'll talk about myself. Um, uh, cause I think it, it might, I mean, let's, let's see. So, uh, cause I get stuck all the time mm-hmm. and I'm a coach guy, right? Like I, you know, I prefer not to say that because, <laughs> right. you know, cause my pride is like, Oh no, I should be have it all together. I do not have it all together. I'm in process. I'm a coach cause I need coaching and mm-hmm. I learn a ton from my clients and I know that helping other people helps me. Right. Um, so there are what I call them limiting beliefs. I'm not the first guy to call them limiting beliefs. Uh, but there are all beliefs we have about ourselves and mm-hmm. they are not all equal. Some mm-hmm. are really powerful beliefs that move us forward and some are really limiting beliefs that hold us back. One of my favorite m- limiting beliefs, and I call it favorite just because it's around all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'll, I'll, I'll make a quick segue here. Sometimes when I'm in a workshop, I'll, um, this will give away some of my tricks if anybody's in a workshop of mine in the future. But I'll, I'll typically at the beginning of the workshop say, like, write down three areas like of leadership challenge that you have right now in your life. Like, what are your three biggest leadership challenges? Yep. And you know, they all write those down. And, and I say, great. Now, next to that, put, the, put a timeline, like timestamp. But how long has that been a challenge for you? Mm-hmm. And some of them are, you know, the thing that happened last week. And or some of them are like, oh, I got a new job, you know, two years ago. And this has been a challenge working with this supervisor or whatever. But then inevitably, everybody's got one on their list, which is like, I'm a procrastinator. Mm-hmm. And their answer for that is as long as I can remember. Right. And if they're so, if they're 35, you know, they've been they've been struggling, quote unquote, struggling with that for the last 30 years. And I'll say, great, the, whatever one you've been struggling with, we put that in quotes. Whatever yeah. you've been struggling with, we're going to call that your best friend. We're going to call that your favorite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they always are like, they do that. They laugh about. It. They're like, you're, you're crazy. It's not my favorite. I hate it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I say reality is like, we've got beliefs in our minds and they're all there on purpose. They all served us at some point or in some way. Otherwise we wouldn't have chosen them. Right. I'm not a guy that says that our, that our beliefs are endowed upon us. I think we always choose our beliefs. Mm-hmm. And I want to believe that because I think that puts us in a much more powerful stance. If we believe it, I mean, if we believe that we choose our beliefs, then we can rechoose them if they suck. Right. Or if they're not good. <clears throat> yep. Right? We can rechoose them, which I think is a more powerful stance than, oh, this is the way I am. This is how I can't, this is where I came from. This is what happened to me when I was five. That's why I'm blah, blah, blah. Right. So, and I, so I'll put those in the category of like limiting beliefs. And typically where people are stuck is where there's a, there's a collision of typically a few of our limiting beliefs. So, I mean, one, one of my limiting beliefs is that I'm dumb. Hmm. Is that I'm not that smart. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that, that's, I've had that belief my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you looked at it, if you looked at the data objectively, I could easily prove that wrong. Uh-huh. 
And, and, and I mean, I said this, I said this to my old friend, you know, all the time, cause it comes up for me all the time because I get intimidated when I get intimidated, I go to, I'm not smart enough to do this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I, one, one of my best friends is the smartest guy I know in my generation. And I, I've said this thing before and he just laughs. He's like, you learn more than anybody I know. Mm-hmm. You know, he knows I'm a podcast junkie. He knows I'm always listening to books, always reading something, always referencing something, always, but that doesn't matter. The objective, the objective truth, um, is very different than my subjective reality. And we all live in our subjective reality. Yeah. And my, and my experience of, of religious people, whether it be Christian or whatever, um, uh, we don't like, we don't like entertaining that because, because I mean, part of the power of religion in general or spiritual belief or however you want to frame it is, is that there is like an objective truth out there about God. Mm-hmm. And then, but the reality of our lives is we live in what we think about that truth. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. It does. Like, yeah. Like that's why, like when you interview 10 people, I mean, let's picture a church pew on a Sunday morning and go to 10 people and say, Hey, who is God? You're going to get a lot of different answers. You're going to get 10 different answers mm-hmm. because the objective truth, while wow, that there might be a static true thing about who God is or who Jesus is or whoever your higher power is, there might be a static truth about that, but we actually filter that all through our belief system and our, and our view of reality. Mm-hmm. And, ev- and everybody, of all those 10 people, can make a case for why they believe what they believe is true. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that belief does not help them, that's when we get stuck, mm. whatever that belief is. So we get stuck whenever we are convinced that our reality is what's true. Mm-hmm. And so that's a little, I mean, that's one piece. So like having limited beliefs. The other thing for me is I get stuck whenever, uh, I isolate. Uh-huh. I mean, I work with top tier leaders. They're really smart people. Go get them. I work with meat eaters and that's not like a thing about veganism. Like just people that are, are ambitious. Yeah. And, and when we get in our, in our one-on-one conversations, you know, they're really honest and they only, the work only works if it's honest and all of them, including myself, um, you know, we, we have things that we battle with and we would naturally, I mean, when the, the, the old phrase, like it's lonely at the top leaders love to say this and believe this, you know why? Cause it lets them isolate. Mm. Is that's even a belief Yes, that it's, it's lonely at the top, which is a great belief. If we want to isolate, if we want to not look stupid, if we want to act like we have it all together, if we want to not make mistakes in public, if we want to only, you know, have people around us that agree with us and pet our ego, it's a great strategy to be lonely at the top. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, and so when, when, I mean, when people decide to work with a coach or just have close friends in their lives that they just decide to be honest with, uh, that's when we get unstuck because when that's when we let other people help us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I know I can't do life on my own. I can do the simple things of life on my own. But the real important stuff, the stuff that's hard, like being honest, like taking a risk, like uh, being a good husband, like being a good father, like the things that I mess up on and have messed up on in huge ways in my life. I need help. Right. And, and one of the limiting beliefs and why people get stuck is that we believe that we should be able to do it on our own. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. I think at, at a core theological conviction that we were never crafted, we were never made to do life alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that is the belief that's been killing us. Uh, and who were we made to live life with and do life with um, in, your, in your assessment? 
we were never made if if the truth is we were never made to live life on our own then then the opposite is we were meant to live life with others yeah were we meant to live life with god scripturally speaking biblically speaking or you know um and yeah. why can't god be our greatest coach that's my other question for you. A little bit of a yeah. challenging question, kind of yeah. liking to explore that. Yeah, yeah, that's a fun question. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll take on the first one first, um, you know, and I'll speak from my own experience. Um, and I've had lots of experience in the 12-step world. And so I, I you know, I, if we're not, we're not meant to be alone, I, I, think, I think aloneness is, is a really bad strategy for success. Mm-hmm. Because even if you do make it on your own, you only get to share it with yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, if you make it with others, you get to share it with others, and that is really where joy comes from and celebration comes from. Um, so I think everybody needs to be connected to a higher power than themselves. For me, I follow Jesus, and I don't follow him perfectly, and I've got lots of fears around that, and what if, and what if, and what if. But that—that's if you look back at my life, I can. I mean, I know the biggest breakthroughs I've had in my life is when I decide to be open to the fact that God wants to make me whole, mm-hmm. and and He's already done enough for that to happen. And as soon as I surrender to that, my world opens up. Mm-hmm. And and I so I follow Jesus because I think he, He's the most compelling um, story, and I actually believe He's the Son. I believe I'm Orthodox, and I believe all those things. But even more than that, I mean, He's the most compelling human that walked to the earth. He's the, you know, I believe he was God in human form, but I'm just, even if even take the religious side out of it or like the spiritual beliefs out of it, I mean, watch this guy's life. Mm-hmm. If I could just be like him mm-hmm. uh, and walk like he walked, uh, my world would be, you know, massive compared to the world that I have if I'm walking by myself. So I, for me, for me, I mean, I heard, I heard a guy say it recently that, that my connection to God is the space between me and the world. Mm-hmm. And my relationship with God is the filter by which I will see the world and relate to the world and the filter by which I will interpret the world back at me. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of coach speak. What I mean by that is in the midst of tragedy, if I have a core belief that God is for me and with me and he is power to heal is, is insurmountably more powerful than my ability to destruct, then whatever is happening in my world around me, God is not intimidated by it mm-hmm. and God can do something about it. Mm-hmm. So for me, having a connection to God via Jesus is is uh, is one of my biggest winning strategies in life, and, <laughs> and also just and I don't mean it like like it's like a winning like I don't mean like business terms. I just mean <laughs> like it's the best decision. It's like if I do that right, everything else goes better. Right, everything else goes better. So that's a piece. And then to your second point as well, like having people around us that believe in us and 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 know us. And know our mess and and accept us anyway and are able to have honest conversations with us because they know us, not mm-hmm. in spite of them knowing us. Um, and you build a team around yourself like that 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 is not intimidated by your weakness or your mess mm-hmm. and also sees your strengths and weaknesses in spite of your mess. Uh, that's I mean, I, I'm a proponent of people building teams around themselves. And, mm-hmm. and that could be a, that could be a team around you as a dad. That could be a team around you as a father. That could be a team around you as a husband. Um, that could be a team around you as a spiritual leader at home. That could be a team around you as a business. I mean, it doesn't mean just a, a business team. I mean, like have building in every area and every important area of your life that you would like to excel at, That's have right. those people, whether they even know it or not. Right. That's right. 
That's okay. right. And, and I've got I've got a long list of people in my phone that I can call when I need help on a specific area of my life. Hmm, that's an interesting challenge. I'm going to look at that for my life for for the new year. Uh, look at look at this with the sense of um, you know uh, who are my who let let me intentionally take a look and who are those people? You know, I want to be a great dad. I want to be a great husband. I want to be a great. Uh, business leader. I want to be a great, let's see, what other areas of my life? What are some of the other areas where where it's important for me uh, in my role? Friend, friendship, yep. um, uh, com- minist- ministry work and work that I do outside of uh, business. Yep. Um, probably those would be the areas unless I'm blanking out on some, but that'd be interesting to say, okay, who are those three or four um, people who can yeah. influence me the most, who I'm going to allow to influence me the most. And then interesting, you mentioned this, but I, I heard a message from someone else that I want to bring up here. And I, I, um, do you remember the, the men that, that take, that took the man and broke through the roof in order to get to Jesus? I do. Remember that story? Yeah. Um, well, interestingly enough, when, when that man was lowered, it was pointed out to me that Jesus actually said not to the not to the man who was mm-hmm. paralytic, he said to the men who brought the paralytic through and would stop at nothing That's to, right. to get the healing for the man, that it was by their faith that he's going to do the healing. That's right. And he was moved by their faith and not necessarily by the paralytic's faith. That's um, right. And so there's another evidence to have men... Uh, you know, or others around you to, to, to move you, you know, through very persistent odds or uh, against all odds to get you there. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, reality is, I mean, we, we naturally do this when we're in a moment of crisis, mm-hmm. right? We, whenever a certain part of our life is falling apart, um, people come, mm-hmm. right? They know that they, that you need them, mm-hmm. um, which is great. And I've been through plenty of crises. And I've needed, I've needed friends to come around me and call me every day and check on me and bring meals and blah, blah, blah. That's, and that's been really helpful. But for some reason, we don't do it when things are going well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just to our detriment. Um, I, know, I, mean, I know why. I mean, at least I know a lot of reasons why people do it, including myself, is, like, is that, I mean, when you build a team around you, what you're essentially doing is saying, I'm choosing to be accountable. Mm-hmm. And I'm choosing to have vision. I'm choosing to be clear about because if I'm meeting with if I have like, let's just say one, not three. Let's just say one. If I have one person in the world that I come to and I say, hey, let's call him Eric. Hey, Eric, I'm committed to being a great dad. If Eric's a good person, he'll say, great. How will you know if you're a great dad? What what will be happening in your life if you are? Mm-hmm. And then I'd have to get clear about it. I have to get, oh, I'm going to spend this much time with my kids. I'm going to do this and this and this activity. I'm going to be connected with them in these ways. On a regular basis, on a daily basis, I'm going to do these five or six things. Um, da, 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 da. I, I would have to get clear and line it out. And then at some point, I would meet with Eric again. And he would say, how are you doing on those specific things? And I'd have to be accountable. Did I do them or not do them? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it, if we choose to bring other people into the inner circle of what we say we're committed to, accountability is a natural part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. I think that's why we don't do them when it's going well, because we, we've got this belief that we've kind of got a limited amount of things we can do, and a limited mm-hmm. amount of things we can be focused on. We call that balance these days, which people love to talk about balance, uh, which I think doesn't serve 
us very well. I would rather have a conversation about intentionality and non-negotiables. Mm-hmm. Like if nothing, because you know, if I, if if I worked to be really balanced, but my but my you know, uh, at certain times, you know, if the, the old teeter totter analogy. If I'm starting a business, I've got to do a lot to like start this business. And if if I worked, you know, if I work to to do balance, either I'm not going to start the business well, or someone somewhere else has to suffer. Mm-hmm. Like my and and you know, it could be family, could be kids, could be marital relationship, could be hobbies, could be spiritual health, could be whatever. And if we were to, you know, if we were, you know, worst case, if we were to pass away during the midst of that pro- that 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 process. Um, those other things have paid the price. And I just think balance is, does not, it, it doesn't serve us as well as like getting really hyper intentional about what we're committed to, what impact we're committed to having in every different area of our life. Um, so there's no right or wrong, but we, no get, right or wrong. but we get hung up on this issue of balance and that's maybe what stops us. Is this what you're saying is that we, <coughs> we can we can be so, cause I've been there. I absolutely yep. have been there. I want this, that, or the other to happen in my life. But then once I start to do it, I recognize pretty quickly that it is, it is upsetting the balance of what I had. And then I quickly will self-sabotage it because, oh no, my, my wife is upset at me because now I'm not able to spend as much time with her or, oh no, I was, you know, I, my kids, I'm not spending enough time with my kids. And so then I start to reel back and, and, uh, while I had this great intention to do this great thing, um, now I'm recognizing that I, uh, am not having balance. And so I'm, it stops me from actually pursuing the thing that I intended to do. And yeah. yeah so, so how do you deal with that or what? Yeah, what? Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. I just get excited about these ideas. There's, uh, it even happened with you. I rarely have a conversation with a leader about balance that regret doesn't come up. Uh-huh. You know, and even as you're talking about, it, it's like, oh, I was doing this thing and then someone else was upset mm-hmm. uh, or someone else was paying the price for me doing this thing. And uh, the other the phrase comes to mind, which comes out of the out of a quote from Jesus, which is somewhere we're not going to find it right now. But he talks about counting the cost. Mm hmm. And I think sometimes if you're wired like me, I get really stoked about new ideas and throw myself at things and, and get engrossed by them. I'm guessing you do that as well a little yep. bit. Yes, I do. Um, and what I've not done in that moment is counted the cost. Mm-hmm. You know, my new idea is it, I'm drunk on it. I'm entranced by it. I'm hypnotized by it. Like, oh, this is going to be everything. This is going to be great. And, and, you know, and our brain loves that. That's that's a great dopamine hit. Mm-hmm. Um, of all this, oh man, this is going to be perfect, but we haven't stopped and said, okay, hold on. If I'm saying yes to this, is there anything in my life I'm willing to say no to? Mm-hmm. And because something, you're going to say no to something mm-hmm. because, you know, I mean, there's almost, there is a fixed amount of time in the day. Um, and there's a fixed amount really of powerful, of powerful focus of where you can be hyper intentional about. So, I mean, I think typically, when, why we feel imbalanced is we haven't stopped and said, Hey, is this really worth it? Mm. Which is, you know, and this is talked about all the time, but just in case we haven't, you know, some of the listeners haven't thought, I mean, we, we, we have been intoxicated by this word called passion over the last, you know, 15 years. It's really come into vogue. Like do what you're passionate about, especially people love to judge the the millennial generation because they like, you know, they're going to live for their, their, their passion, um, which is typically defined by what are we excited about? Mm. And we know that really what passion is, 
in the etymological sense and where the word comes from is, is what is it, what are you willing to suffer for? Mm. Like the passion of the Christ is the suffering of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so what are we, are, so being passionate about something is something we're willing to suffer for. So is to sit down, Hey, this is the new vi- business mi- venture I want to do. I go to my spouse and say, Hey, I really want to do this. Here's the 10 reasons why it's probably going to take a hit on, my availability at home during these hours or my attention during these hours or my ability to take vacations next July or whatever, or whatever the story is. So having uh, that honest conversation is what never really happens. We t- for me, I typically don't. I'd rather make decisions on my own and not be accountable to the people that I'm already committed to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and so we get out of balance whenever the conversations that we could have had at the beginning are finally having, but now people are upset with us because we actually didn't count the cost and invite other people into that conversation. We chose well, not to be, by the yeah. way, let me tell you, reference the scripture. I think it's Luke fourteen twenty eight, which I've looked up right. now, which says for which one of you, when he wants to build a tower for his guards, does not first sit down and count the cost to see mm-hmm. if he has enough to finish it. Yep. Mm hmm. Very interesting. So do you yeah. so do you think that, that where people get stuck is they they um they do not count the cost properly? We don't we don't yeah I I'll say it for myself and I've seen it all over the place is I think we don't count the cost and we're not having a real honest conversation with ourselves because mm-hmm. if you're like me you want everything to be limitless yes and that's just not the world we live in I mean mm-hmm. we have some human limitations and I love to believe things are limitless I think a lot of great thinking come comes out of that viewpoint right that what if more can happen you know and i advocate for unlimited possibilities and at the end of the day there are human limitations right and so if you're i, I think we're all tempted to have unrealistic or un, or or to not have conversations about what are if i say yes to this what do i need to say no to and we end up if you look at my life the people that pay the price for me having a brand new idea is typically the people closest to me yeah and, um, another you know, good so reason I, to have a coach, another good reason to have a coach. Well, just to stay, just, you know, a great coach, there's lots of great coaches out there is, is a great coach is committed to what you say you're committed to, mm-hmm. you know? So when I'm working with someone, we'll spend as long as it takes to help that person get hyper clear about what they say they're committed to, which is code for vision. Yeah. What few, what picture of the future do they really want or are they willing to suffer for and sacrifice for and make happen no matter what? Mm. And then a good coach will stand next to you and, and join you empathetically in that commitment. And so when you show up and you're not committed to that, we get curious about it mm-hmm. and see what came in. Because typically one of those limiting beliefs came in or something circumstantially didn't happen. We thought we were going to make – you know, seven or fifty k this year, and we lost this big contract, and all of a sudden, in that in our minds, that means oh, instead of seven fifty, we're going to make six fifty because that was a hundred thousand dollar contract, and and we want as a person, we naturally start to make our goals smaller so we don't feel bad when we don't hit them. And a great coach is going to say, I bet there are about ten other ways to make up for that hundred thousand dollars, and it's annoying. It's annoying. It's annoying that you get that you say that because then you're 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 bringing that person face to face with the with the commitment that they made. That's right. And that you're pointing out to them, hey, wait a minute, I'm uh, you're not going to get away with this. 
<laughs> that's right. And, and, and that's essentially what I think, uh, at least for me, that's what people are paying for is for somebody to believe in them more than, but more than they believe in themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'll say it uh, lots of times to people when they, people have audacious goals. I'll say, I, by the way, there are two people on this call and you, there's only one that doesn't think this is possible and it ain't me. Mm. Boom. Drop the mic. Boom. Yeah, no, it's true. It's, it's powerful. It's powerful. Not letting you get away with excuses. Yeah. Not, not letting you get away with things that are so and, and people will say they want to coach, but I'll tell you, I have just my time with Julia. She was mm-hmm. tough. Mm-hmm. She was tough as nails on me. Yep. And, um, but I appreciated that. I learned to appreciate that. Yep. In the beginning, I was kind of mad at her. Because I <laughs> didn't like that she was pointing out she was a, a mirror reflecting back mm-hmm. to me um, what I was really doing. So, um, well, that's a, I mean, a thought about that is I mean, typically, I mean, people typically go to counseling when they have a problem, right? I mean, that's what you know. I do. I go yep. to counseling when I know I have a problem. Um, coaching is about something entirely different because reality is, Eric, you're successful. You know, you, you're, you're doing well and you're influencing a lot of great people and you're doing this podcast. You care about the world. you got a great family. You love your family and you've made it by society's standards. Right. And that's great. And that's, that's just part of the conversation. I think that resists coaching because and when we do comparison shopping, we're, you know, we're fine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but there's, there's at least from from a spiritual context, I don't think God called us to fine. Mm. I, I don't think so. I mean, I hope not. I, I think. Well, nothing, I mean, nothing says yeah. in Scripture that He wanted us just to be okay. That's right. He did call oh. us to an abundant life, didn't He? Yes, an abundance very different than fine. I mean, I was talking to a guy last night that is his life's upside down, and he was. You know, we were talking about lots of different strategies. And he's not my coaching client; he's just a friend. And he was saying, "Okay, if I, so if I do this and this, then I'll finally get in maintenance." Which for him, <laughs> and I and I'm, I laughed. I said, "Well, I mean, if if all you want to do is maintain, great, that's a good strategy. But I think you want to be healthy with and main maintaining sobriety or maintaining." Not messing up is a really, I mean, it's, you know, it's just not being bad, which Mm -hmm. is, I think, a lot of, you know, a lot of the influence of, you know, Western religion, at least, you know, on, on our psyche, which is like, you know, to be connected to God is not to be bad, which is very different than uh, to being connected to God, which means to be audaciously good, which means to go make a difference, go make an impact with people. Yeah. And, um, and have anyway, a have a have a full yeah. kingdom experience right now here on earth with your with an adventurous god who That's right. Um I do believe that. I'm I'm really big on I'm very attracted to discussions about adventure with God. Um I'm mm-hmm. not exactly sure where that's coming from, but I do believe that he has meant for us something much greater and um part of that involves fear, doesn't it? Part of that involves Um, things like, uh, one of the things you mentioned here, um, people don't like conflict. People don't want to, they avoid conflict at all, Mm -hmm. at all costs. Um, and I do that too. I, you know, I'm, I'm just as human as everybody else. And the last thing I want to do is have a, 
uh, confrontation. But a lot of times, having that confrontive conversation will actually release breakthrough in my life, so that I can be, so I can continue in my adventurous journey with God. And I know that this one conversation, like I, I know I'm going to have to have a couple of very tough conversations with two people in my life in order for me to hit the goal of, um, in my life, in, in our business, uh, presidential diamond rank with doTERRA, for example. Yeah. Uh, and, um, but I'm avoiding these conf- conflict, these conversations that are going to be potentially conflicting, uh, conf- uh, that are going to produce conflict in, in our relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I know I've been meaning to have the conversation for about six months and I keep putting it off and I keep putting it off and it just keeps showing up. So yeah. why, why do people do that? Why am I doing that? <laughs> oh, well, uh, we talked about me not cussing on here, so I'll stop. You uh, can. I'm, I'm you editing can. myself. Um, no. Um, well, I mean, a few things. I mean, one is, I mean, you're already in conflict with these people, right? I mean, you, you mean for the last six months you've been in conflict. No, I have not been. Oh, no, yeah. I'm, I'm maintaining a friendly awareness, yes. a friendly relationship. But inside, That's right. That's I'm right. having this a conflict is, already. This this is my point, uh-huh. is that we talk about conflict like it's the conversation we're having with another person. Uh-huh. Um, that is, you know, that is like step nine of having conflict. I mean, you're in step one through eight right now. And you've been doing math for the last six months about why you should, why you shouldn't, mm-hmm. you know. What are you going to think? What are you going to say? What are they going to say? And how, what do I think about what they're going to say? And what are they going to think about what I got to say? And what if, what if it works, what's going to happen? What if it doesn't work, what's going to happen? What if they think I'm a, what if they, you know, what if they accuse me of, what if they turn on me and turn my, you know, it's like we spend lots of times rehearsing what we call the conflict, which is the conversation with the other person, but we're already in the conflict. Mm-hmm. Like yes. We're already conflicted, right? Like you've been conflicted for six months Yes. and what, and what you think is going to happen when you have the conversation, mm-hmm. like what you've been rehearsing mm-hmm. is what you're scared of. Yes. So part of it is we don't, for me, I'll say it for me, it's also like I see it in lots of other people, is we don't go have the conversation because we're control freaks. Mm-hmm. And as long as Eric or Adrian doesn't go, doesn't go give the other person an opportunity to actually react, I get to be in control. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm busy, think if you know, for example, if I think, oh, my friend Bob, let's say Bob, if you know, uh, I can't go talk to Bob about this because blah 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 blah. Right. And as long as I don't go talk to Bob, I get to keep Bob stuck in who I think Bob is. It's not even good for Bob, is it? Well, no, it's not good for Bob. It's not good for Bob, and it, and, and it's not good for us either. If if we actually want a relationship with Bob, right? Because we, we are now choosing that Bob has a set personality and a set belief system, and he is X Y Z. We're choosing, you know, anytime we get in any kind of judgment conversation, like we don't let somebody reinvent. Um, you know, if that that mentor of mine, Dan Tikini, he says this this line that is always stuck with me. He says, "Nobody survives a great conversation." Uh huh. <laughs> and what he mean, and what he means by that is, a great conversations mean Eric comes in. Let's say you and I had are in conflict, quote unquote, and, and if and you've got all your set beliefs about what you think I did or didn't do, and I've got all my set beliefs on what I think you did or didn't do. And a great conversation, we both walk in and say, "Hey, here's my agenda. Here's what I've been thinking. Here are my judgments of you. 
can we have a can I I'm up from being wrong mm-hmm. about what my experience was about you or about the thing that happened. Right. And which is the opposite of pride, which is humility, right? Mm-hmm. Most of us are not humble enough to give the other person a shot that they, that they actually, their view of something is different than our view is. Right. And right. so we, we avoid conflict because we like to be right about the world. Mm. Even if that rightness is going to steal, you know, potential success. Hmm. And I, and I say that I say that just like based on results, like we could see like for whatever, whatever. I mean, you know, you've already given up six months and and at some point you'll say, OK, um, it's worth it to roll the dice. I don't know how this person's going to react. I don't know how I'm going to react. But right. having the conversation, if it works, is going to open up X, Y, Z possibilities and it's worth it. Yeah. And it's- I got to trust that person. I got to trust God. I got to trust myself that. If I open up the conversation, it's kind of like skydiving. You just yeah. jump out of the plane. You don't know what's going to happen after that. You hope the shoot's going to work. Right. You hope, you know, you hope you land in the right place. You hope you don't break your legs. Reality is after you jump, you can't control any of that. Yeah. Yep. And so that's the biggest thing is I think people avoid, I avoid conflict because I'd, I'd rather be, I'd rather have the security of my own opinion about the world or my own rightness about how the other person's wrong. Mm-hmm. Cause that's, a, yep. That's working for me. That's, that's the, uh, that's, that's, my, I, yeah, go ahead. No, Sorry. go ahead. What are you going to say? I was just going to reference my other close friend, Jason. He calls that the barbed wire blanket. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. It's, it's, it's a blanket. It's comfortable, but you better not move. Yeah. And that's kind of sounds like a prison to me. Exactly. Uh-huh. I love exactly. that. That is such a good analogy. Yep. Such a good analogy. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, that's a good point. I know that's going to speak to a lot of people, uh, that are listening to the, to the courage cast. Um, you can't get out of that one. I mean, that's, you can try, you can try to explain that one away, but you're just going to be stuck in your own barbed wire blanket, um, until you, until you face the conflict and have the conflict, uh, in reality Mm -hmm. with that person. And, uh, it's amazing. Like there's only like 15 seconds of awkwardness really when you yeah. have that conversation. Uh, but then it's fine. It's like jumping in a cold pool. Like, yeah. You'll be fine yeah. once you, once you get in, you know, That's right. so, and it takes courage to jump in. Yeah. It takes courage. You know, it takes, and it's Faith. gotta, I mean, typically people don't have conflict as well because it doesn't, it, it I mean, the, uh, the result doesn't matter enough to them. Aha. Uh-huh. Right. Like, if I know, I'm thinking about an example from my own life. Um, <laughs> like if I, if I, if I know I've really hurt someone and, uh, and, and I, I can make up, so then let's say I'm avoiding that conversation because of the shame or the guilt or the whatever. And I make up these assumptions that they feel about me the same way I feel about myself. Yeah. Um, and if I go and like, you know, seek forgiveness or if I go and repent, if I go and like ask, you know, it, it, you know, and actually get curious about my impact with them, they might love me more than I love myself. Mm -hmm. And I might be surprised. I might be pleasantly surprised and that might be the voice of God, but I, but I'd rather have my own shame experience and protect myself, which is what shame is at the end of the day. It's a way of self-protection. Um, 
then then have the vulnerability that I'm that I actually might be more loved than I'd like to accept. Wow. Yes. Because if because if I'm more loved than I'd like to accept, then all the other BS in my life mm-hmm. is all a sham. Mm-hmm. It's a shame. You know, it's it's it, it's I mean, if we take it back to like the my my favorite, I'll call these things rackets. My favorite limiting belief is that I'm dumb. Well, I might I might not know enough to do X, Y, Z, or I might know enough mm-hmm. or the knowing of it might not be that important. And me just showing up being being a real authentic human being might be be enough to get the job, to get the client, to, you know, get the uh, contract to fill in the blank. Like I might be judged on a different scale than what I think I am. Yeah. Or the world might be judging me. I'm just being, I'm scared to death of being judged by my own worst behavior, by my own worst mistakes. Uh huh. And a lot of times in conflict, uh, you know, we don't want to be surprised by love. We'd rather have the comfort of our own self judgment. Mm-hmm. And that is a direct c- connection to my spiritual life. Anytime I'm distanced from God, because I would rather. I mean, we, we talk about a kind of cliche these days, but in this new context, I'd rather work for love than to be fully accepted without work. Because <laughs> if God loves me no matter what, then if, and I bring my, my junk to him, he says, no problem. <laughs> and I like, you know, based on results, I like beating myself up about all my past mistakes. Yeah. Because for me, and in lots of spiritual communities, that's called being religious. Right. That's called being you know, oh, he's contrite. Oh, look, he's so serious. Oh, look, he's so depraved. Oh, look, he's so he knows his own sin. He's a sin. He says it every time. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And God might be saying, hey, you were a sinner saved by grace. Now you're a redeemed person continually saved by grace. Can we move on? Right. Gosh, please. Can we can we go get can we get past you? Mm-hmm. Yes. And <laughs> these God made conversation with us. Yeah. I mean, all the sin conversation is like, is typically very narcissistic. Like, you know, I, I've got this problem that just get, I've got this addiction. I just can't get over. And meanwhile, the secret payoff to that is my conversation with God is still about me and God's saying, Hey, can we get over you for a minute? Yeah. Which is the main message I think of Jesus is Mm -hmm. like, Hey, I came here for the world. Can you please come here for the world? Yes. You're still thinking about yourself. That's right. Mm hmm. And even out of the sin conversation, when it comes to like a human performance standpoint, it's the same, it's the same math when we talk about our own weaknesses. Can you coach someone out of an addiction or do you recommend counseling first? Well, good question. Um, It depends on what the person wants. Really, it depends on what the person wants. Um, And I think both are really helpful. Yeah. Um, Because typically, I mean, my, my experience is that, you know, we're, we, our, I mean, addiction is essentially running our world by our own rules. Yeah. Um, and it's usually very self-destructive. Yeah. Um, and so it's, I think it's really easy to get, and a great, um, I mean, it's especially in early recovery. Early recovery is about taking, you know, uh, what, what do they call it? Um, contrary action. Yeah. Right. So changing your behavior. Um, and, and I think, I think people can change their behavior in a moment. I think it, they, I mean, they, the term, they're going to need discipline yeah. and they can craft it, but there's enough. I mean, I don't know a person that's gotten out of a really bad, uh, addiction that doesn't like the life they have in sobriety more than they liked it in addiction. Right. It has to be a greater payoff for them 
to That's be right. out, to be out of the addiction than it is to be in. Cause yeah. a lot of people stay in addiction cause they like the payoff that it's giving them. Isn't it? I say a hundred percent of people do that. Yeah. And then I'll, I mean, I know that's an extreme thing, but I, I, I just think it's empirically true. You could prove it every time. Yeah. And it, and addiction isn't just a guy shooting heroin on the streets. Addiction is an addiction to gossip, an addiction to talking about other people, an addiction to eating, an addiction to, you know, to come. I mean, we all comfort ourselves in different ways. Yeah. Addicts, addicts, you know, traditional addicts use chemicals to do that. Mm-hmm. But it's just, but you know, the the brain chemistry is the same. Yeah. The bag, the bag of potato chips does the same thing in the brain as shooting the heroin, right? Different or sugar, sugar or sugar. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, a coach, a really good coach, you know, can help you get through that because, um, typically we've settled for addiction and yeah. it's because we haven't had a vision that's worth. It doesn't fall in line with the commitment that we, and the vision we we've set out for ourselves. So yeah. the coach is going to help you see that. And as long as you're honest, with yourself, like the coach will only work if you're honest. I mean, I guess counseling as well, right? I mean, you've got to, yep. you've got to be willing to be brutally honest about everything. <laughs> yeah. And to be, and to be rigorous about our honesty. Yeah. And this, that's a really small, um, but I think a very, it's a game changing distinction because we could all be honest. And typically when we say being honest, we say like saying the way we feel or what we think. Yeah. But you know, for me, my feelings are not good decision makers. <laughs> right. Right. Cause my feelings change in the midst of a day. They change a thousand, if not a hundred thousand times. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, so sometimes when we're honest in counseling, I mean, we're saying, I mean, let me say it differently. We need to be honest about our feelings, but also be accountable to our feelings. Yeah. Meaning like if I feel like he did a, B and C and I feel that way, but that, but that, you know, that, that, that feeling, I mean, typically feelings are, are, are unexpressed thoughts, but that feeling or thought, if that doesn't move me towards what I say I'm committed to, I need to be accountable to that. Yes. Because feelings aren't neutral. Yes. I mean, yes, they happen, but then we decide, we make decisions based on feelings and that's where we get in trouble. Yeah. And so I think we need to be rigorous about our feelings and, and really put our, I mean, typically we trust our feelings because, oh, that's just the way I feel, right? Like, oh, Hey, don't judge my feelings. It's just the way I feel. Yeah. And part of that, I can get it. And we can, and part of that is like self-acceptance and like, you know, I, and I get that. And at the exact same time, we got to watch it because we can easily, I mean, uh, typically all addiction is an addiction to some kind of feeling. Yeah. And yeah. so not all feelings are made the same and, and we can actually decide uh, what to do with our feelings. So we yeah. need to be accountable to our feelings and rigorous about them yeah. and put them, put them to the light. Like, is this a feeling I mean, I'm in, I'm, you know, I, I know a lot of people, uh, that are, that are really committed to feeling judged by God Yeah, and they can be in and behavior comes out of that conviction. Yeah. And they can be in that, that type of behavior for years and years and years and years. Yep. And, uh, yeah. And that, how's that working for them? Right. You know, exactly. Um, listen, Adrian, I know you are, I can tell this is a passionate conversation. I know you and I could probably sit and talk for hours, like we've said, but we need to wrap it up, uh, for, uh, to, to honor our time. But man, this is so, so good. I know people are going to be really, um, responding well to this when this goes, when this goes live in the courageous community. So Adrian, um, to kind of wrap this up, obviously you're a coach and I think people, 
we're we're gonna you and I are gonna talk outside of this to see how we can get more and uh, get the get our my leadership team involved in what you're doing and uh, and kind of build a very strong performing high performing team. Mm-hmm. So if you were to kind of if you were to kind of put a a bow around this uh, in the context of a team in a high performing team, what what does that look like? How does a high perf- what is a characterization of a high performing team in a summary form? Yeah. Uh, okay, great. Summary form. Then let me stop and do some editing. Um, I mean, high performing team essentially exists from, from a few different characteristics. Um, number one, high performing teams are really honest with themselves internally and they're honest with their team mm-hmm. and high performing team is vulnerable. And by vulnerable, I just mean accountable. Like, mm-hmm. Hey, this is what we say we're going to do together and we might mess this thing up. And we're actually going to be committed to having conversation. Like we really want this thing to happen. Mm-hmm. And when, and it's going to take, you know, X, Y, and Z from each person. And we re- I, I'm committed to this thing long-term. And if I'm ever going off the rails, I give you permission right now to, in a loving way, help me get my life back on the rails or help me get my, my performance back on the rails. And if I'm avoiding X, Y, and Z, you can call me on that, but high-performing teams, if they know what they're committed to together, they tell on themselves. Yes. Like if I say, hey, I'm going to do 10 sales calls every day, and there's been two days in a row that I've done eight, I'm going to call somebody and say, hey, you know what? I haven't the last two days, and I don't even know why. I might be confused about it, or you know, there are lots of other options. But, if, but hey, we tell on ourselves, hey, I need help because I told you I'm committed to this thing, and I need help. And high-performing teams, they do not – punish people for having weaknesses they don't they stand with each other for to be great mm-hmm. and we have a we have a deep-seated belief that we can all perform in new ways yeah and so there's honesty and vulnerability and there's accountability and we and high-performing teams like really focus on uh outcomes and results so we get really crystal clear yeah about about what we want and then we're willing to sacrifice for it um so it's like some some of the core things that come to mind at the beginning uh, and there, you know, I mean, there's a lot, I mean, it could be a long list. I mean, high performing teams are learners, right? We're not, we're not, we're not here to impress each other. We're here to get better. Right. Um, and so like we're always sharing information and, and if I think Tom needs some help about a certain thing, if I read an article that I think Tom might like, Tom's not going to get offended. If I send him something I think he might need, right. Tom's going to be op- times Tom's going to be open yeah. um, to these types of things. But there's an ethic between them that the goal is, is more important than the messy, human process yeah is we all get insecure we all blow it we all make mistakes and if we're committed to a goal together um then the process it can be less significant than the outcome yeah and when i say process i mean the ego that's naturally built into how we want to look good and feel good and be right and be in control right like that that part of our ego side of our brain like i'm willing to do whatever it takes to help you win and if everybody on a high performing team will do that uh, then the team wins. It's like re- everyone ha- uh, releases their own control, their own ego for the for the betterment of the team, which will ultimately be for the betterment of themselves anyway. That's right. Exactly. Okay. It, I love it. It comes back. It comes back. It always comes um, back. Mm. And there are ways and that's not normal. Yeah, right. No. That's not, I don't that's I don't not, know about a team like that, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah, kind of utopian for me to hear. It. Yeah. It, but it, I'll tell you, it is possible. Mm-hmm. It is possible. Teams. I mean, not everybody does it. And in my work, when I work with the CEO and if he and, and if he or she gets committed to this and starts to build out a team, 
then everybody else's contrary beliefs get revealed. Yeah. And some people get let go, not because they deserve to get fired, but because their personal vision for how they want to operate on the team is different than what the leader is now saying. Hey, these are the commitments, the values by which we're going to operate. And if you don't want to do this, no problem. Um, but you should probably go somewhere else because we're going to be really annoying to you. Mm-hmm. So in the network marketing space, everyone's their own boss. That's you know? right. And uh, if you were involved with us and our team, so it would be me and my six leaders mm-hmm. um, uh, that you would be working with, um, we would have to get real clear yeah. about the costs and what's involved and, and all of that. And you would you would kind of work with us and be a conduit to make sure that we are all performing, that we're high perf- that we're a high performing team. That's, yeah, that's how you would get involved, right? And and performance always starts in conversation. Yeah, always performance always starts in conversation because our beliefs, our our, our core beliefs draft our thoughts, and our thoughts create our actions, and our actions create our outcomes. Yeah, I love it. Um, so it's always the the core beliefs at the beginning, and typically on every team, it's the conversations we're not having that are running us. Yes. So true. So, so we put things on the table and do we have courage enough just to put, we could put anybody can say anything yep. in this call Yep. and there's no judgment here, but whatever's happening for you individually, we want to hear about it. Yep. Do Whether not hold back. You, don't, don't hold back. Mm-hmm. Don't hold back. And I that's the way it. we move forward together authentically. So it. it's, uh, it's powerful when a team operates like that. And I've been it. on teams like that. Uh, yeah. I, I, I want to be on a team like that. I want our team to be like that. So yeah, man, I'm, uh, I'm inspired. Uh, Adrian, where can people um, get in touch with you and learn more about you? Yeah, they, you can. Um, I, I, you know, I did like a social media fast about three months ago and I didn't miss it. So Good for you. If, you, if, if you go to Facebook and Instagram, you can find my old stuff, but I haven't posted anything in three months. Okay. I don't miss I don't miss the distraction. Um, uh, but you can email me uh, directly. Adrian, A-D-R-I-A-N at adriankaler.com. Let me spell that out for you. Adrian at Adrian Kaler, but it's spelled funny. K-O-E-H-L-E-R. Okay. And I've got I've got an old personal website for myself. Most all of my work now comes via referral. So I don't even keep like a fancy site up because I've never spent time marketing ex- externally. It's a high high touch relational business. But you can see you can see a video on there and whatever. Uh, just at adriankaler.com. A-D-R-I-A-N-K-O-E-H-L-E-R.com. Okay. Um and it's actually it's a it's a fun little video on there. Actually some of my old an old client shot that for me as a gift. Oh okay. Um, which is pretty cool. So go check it out and you'll hear a similar tone as and, and me. That was a few years ago talking about what the work's about. Uh, that's similar to me now. Um, I, th- I think they did a great job. That's the guys at Shade Tree Films. Awesome. Um, and uh, anyway, but I'd love to hear from anybody. If anybody has questions, concerns, interests, curiosity, I'd love to get an email. I'd love, I love talking to anybody. Um, I'm wide open. And however I can be a resource to you and your team, I'm always down to work with great people. Adrian, thank you for contributing to the Courageous Community and, and adding your gift of passion and coaching and uh, bringing a dose of reality to what it is that we're trying to do and, and uh, cutting, cutting, cutting things down for us so that pruning things out of the way that, so that we can see a clearer vision of what, what is possible for our lives. Thank you. You are so welcome. I'm honored. Thank you. Adrian Kaler, everyone, thank you. Uh, let's give him a big round of applause virtually on the Courageous Woo! Community. <laughs> Uh, Adrian Kaler again. It's uh, his website is a d r i a n k o e h l e r 
com. Adrian Kaler dot com is uh, is his coaching site and really learn more about him. And you can email him at Adrian at Adrian Kaler dot com. Man, I'm so grateful. Thanks again, Adrian, for being a part of the courageous community and the Courage Cast podcast. Very welcome. 